I'm reading from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps I should have, in case you weren't here last week, perhaps I should have put the context of, of Nehemiah and that reading where he was in exile and he had had word of the, um, his people, the children of Israel, who had remained back in Jerusalem, and they were in a really sorry state. And um, Nehemiah sat and wept before the Lord over the situation that he was in. And what we have just heard is his prayer to the Lord of, um, well, his prayer. So we now have half an hour to um, uh, go, uh, so, yeah, so Katie, or, or stay, or stay, yeah, some people, Pete would be really happy if some people stayed, so Katie is making her way through that door there, do follow her, and we will reconvene at 12 o'clock, Katie, yes, we will, 12 o'clock. <laughs> Okay, be blessed. You had three choices. Let's see if you made the right one. It, uh... um, just as a kind of starter, how about you turn to your neighbours and just um, speak about, uh, talk about one thing that you've noticed that has changed culturally uh, over the last 20, 30 years. So one thing that you've noticed that is different now in our culture than was maybe 20, 30 years ago, if you can remember that far back. I can't remember last week, so 20, 30 years is a long time. So. 
Now, I wonder if the things that you're sharing are positive or negative, or maybe it's a bit of both. Um, you know, because I, I, I look at something like the, the big thing that I notice is the change in technology. Uh, now, I've got a, a three-year-old and a ten-week-old, something like that. I've already lost count. It's, you know, deprivation of sleep. Um, but my kids are very young, uh, and already I can see. I got my first mobile phone when I was 14 years old. Um, some people will say to me, I didn't get my first phone until I was like 65 or something. Um, but uh, I got my first phone when I was 13 years old. Uh, and these days, and, and it was an old, it was a Nokia 3310, uh, the, the, uh, the, the phone that you could only ever play Snake on. That was it. You could, you could send a text message if you could remember to repeat press the buttons, because uh, it was one of those with the, with the digits, and you had to press, if you wanted to see, you had to press one three times, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And these days, you know, kids don't know what they've got. No, um, but it, my son Tobias now has, like, toys that are smarter than my phone ever was, um, uh, and, and can do things that just would have, would have boggled my mind years ago. Um, uh, and stuff, and I've, I've, I'm quite good with technology. I'm, I, I, I'm quite good, but even these days, I'm boggled with how quickly kids will pick up a remote control and will know exactly how to turn on this, turn on that, turn on the other thing, turn on. Uh, and I feel like my granddad, and I'm only in my 30s, and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is getting too quick. Um, and technology definitely has its positives. It definitely has its positives. But there are definitely things that, even as a, a father of a three-year-old, I'm starting to become scared of uh, and think to myself, I'm, you know, I mean, I have no idea how to use TikTok uh, and uh, Snapchat. And I, I'm like, I can't even imagine the age at which my son will end up on one of these social media sites, speaking with his friends, dancing for them, whatever you do on all these things, uh, and, and just looking down this barrel of kind of like technology. Uh, if, if technology has gone this fast in the last 15 years, what advances and developments will there be that are just going to, I'm going to be left behind, uh, and I'm going to have to try and challenge and guide my children through these, these technological advances uh, with wisdom and grace. Um, which I don't have very much of these days. So I'm going to be relying on all you guys to give me the wisdom and grace uh, of, of how, to, how to do that. But it's, uh, it's interesting how culture changes. And, and as I say, that's the one thing that kind of came to my mind was the, the big cultural shift because of technology. Um, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't ever remember how we ever met up before technology like you know these days if i'm stood waiting for a friend and they're like two minutes late um i'm, I'm kind of panicking on my way home from work i'll often set up my uh, my sat nav to to come home and then i'll send my wife a link to share my progress my trip progress so she knows exactly where i am on my journey so that as soon as i get you know within the lane she can turn on the kettle and then she can thrust a baby into my arms as i come in through the door um but but you know, when I, when I was a teenager, oh, when I was a teenager, no, uh, when I was a teenager, you had to kind of make an agreement to say, we're going to meet here at this point, at this time, and if the person didn't show up, you just 
stood around for an extra 10, 15 minutes, give it a bit of, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes, and then gave up. And the very next day, you'd see them, and you'd say, where were you? And they'd say, oh, I forgot. You never, you never really bothered about it. But these days, two minutes late, and you're, you know, trying to track them on your phone to try and see where they're at. Um, and it just changes how we interact with each other. The, these interactions that we never, these things that we never knew were a problem before. If, if I didn't know what time you were going to arrive at, it, it was never a problem. But now it becomes a big problem. And uh, I think for me, as I've reflected on Nehemiah 1, it becomes for me, this prayer uh, has really shown me maybe it's a, a cultural shift that Nehemiah was praying into. And uh, Nehemiah, um, if, you, if you want the background to this, I'm not going to go into too much depth because that would one bore you uh, and two be pointless i found out this week that um all of our sermons are online uh so if you go to the the church's website unbeknown to me this has been recorded so please if i say something rude or inappropriate it's there for life um so uh so i'm really nervous now um but yeah it, there's there's all this stuff of um if you want the context of nehemiah Go and listen to John's sermon last week. Uh, it's online. You can hear it. He does a great point about Ezra and Nehemiah, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and as Mary pointed out, this prayer comes in a point where Nehemiah has just heard that Israel, the temple, has been, uh, it, it's failed to be uh, restored, and, uh, and he gets this terrible news. Uh, recognizing back then, there wasn't anything like social media. It wasn't a kind of take a, you know, call, call a mate, take a picture, oh, there's the temple kind of thing. Um, uh, it was, it, it took ages. Messengers had to come and go and, and stuff. And so to get message and word all the way in Babylon about, which is now Syria, uh, so, so that kind of point of, of, our, of our map, all the way back in Jerusalem, it took ages to get any news. You didn't really know what was happening um, within, within cultures and contexts. Uh, in another country. And so Nehemiah gets this awful word that the, the, the people have gone back, it hasn't, it's failed, it's not succeeded, it's, uh, it, it's not gone as, gone as planned. And uh, Jean went over last week about the fact that Nehemiah's first response is to fast and pray. That's it. He, he gets down uh, and he fasts and he prays. And then what we get in the book of Nehemiah is this seven verses about what he prays. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second this is exactly what he prays. Um, I think this is probably uh, a summary of some of the things he's, he prays, uh, because he prays for days and days, uh, and, uh, and this is probably more likely to be a summary of some of the things he said in that prayer. Because uh, again, how many of us can remember what we have for breakfast yesterday, let alone the exact words that we prayed in our prayer this morning? Uh, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that, does it? But what we've got here is this kind of summary. And uh, I have been really struck by a couple of points in this prayer that I really think God wants to, wants to pull out for us today. The first one is, is that Nehemiah is a man of the word. Uh, in his prayer, he quotes God's word. Uh, and uh, when, when we talk about Nehemiah quoting God's word, what we're talking about is we're talking about the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, some of those fancy words that we hear in uh, Bible colleges and stuff like that. The first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books. 
Uh, and they're beautiful books, they're amazing books. Anybody who hasn't read them, you should go and read them. Uh, they've got some amazing stories, some amazing uh, concepts and stuff. Uh, and for, for the Jewish people, uh, and for, for Nehemiah, uh, the word Torah, we translate as law. Uh, but actually, the correct translation is instruction or teaching. Uh, and so actually, when, when the people of Israel uh, and Jewish people went back to the Torah, they weren't looking for the, the distinctive list of 613 laws that we now would be able to list and quote off by heart, off by rote. What they were looking for was they were looking for wisdom and instruction from God into their current situation. Nehemiah was a man who spent his time in the Word. Because he says... Um, in verse 7, you have, uh, we have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept your promises and ordinance that you gave to Moses. Please remember the command that you gave to Moses. He remembers what God said to Moses, which means that he's been spending time in God's word, studying, reading, reflecting, meditating on God's word. So in Deuteronomy, we have the people of Israel just about to go into the promised land. They've come through the desert. It's taken them 40 years to do a journey that should have taken them two weeks. They get to the edge of, of, uh, of, uh, of Israel, uh, the Jordan River, and uh, Deuteronomy, which is the last book in these first five books, uh, is basically a big set of long sermons by Moses. Moses isn't allowed to go into the, the, the land, uh, but he, he wants to give the people of Israel one last instruction. He wants to say to them, look, when you go into the land, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to face. This is what life's going to be like for you. And uh, he says to them that actually God will bless them. They will prosper. They will have good lives. But even back then, even before they went into the land, God had told Moses, and Moses then says to the people, but you're not going to do it. You're going to fail. You're not going to be able to pass this test. Wow. I don't know about you. I, I hate exams. I, I really get nervous about exams uh, because, you know, testing my knowledge, random things come into my head at random times. Uh, nothing really makes any sense. Uh, and, uh, and you're being checked on all of this knowledge that's just been crammed into your head in a very, very short window of time. And uh, I, I really dislike it. I think I'd feel even worse if somebody came up to me before an exam and said to me, right, here's what you need to know for the exam. You're going to go into the exam, but then you're going to fail the exam. Could you imagine going to an exam knowing that you're going to fail? Like... I have never been so petrified in all my life, even just thinking about that thought. But that's what God said to the people of Israel. He said, look, you're going to go into the land, you're going to be tested, you're going to be, there's going to be trials, but you're going to fail. And when you fail, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove my blessing from you because that's what gives you protection. And when my blessing is removed from you, other kingdoms, other people are going to come and they're going to take you off to foreign lands because actually that's what you want is when you fail, it's because you're being unfaithful. God said to the people that the key thing is to have a relationship with me. That's it. 
you have a relationship with God, everything else will fall into place because that relationship is key. God will give you wisdom and understanding uh, and grace to be able to fill his commandments. But actually, you're going to be tempted. You're going to see over there that there's a guy who does this, and you're going, oh, I wonder what that's like. And then you're going to see this guy over here, and you go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Or I'll I'll go up there, and I'll, I'll do that. And slowly, things will be chipped away. And what will happen is you'll start to lose a sense of your identity and your relationship in God. And when that happens, I'm going to allow you to have what you want. If you want other gods, you can have other gods. And you'll be taken from this land, and you'll be taken to the land of other gods. And so God predicted this. He said to his people, this is what will happen all the way back in Deuteronomy. Hundreds of years before this event took place, God had already predicted that it would take place. Before Jeremiah came along and told the people, you're going to go into exile because you haven't listened to God, Moses had already told them, you're going to go into the land, you're going to fall away from God, and you're going to be taken into exile. And Nehemiah had been reading this. But then he comes across this word of hope. But if you return to me, and you observe my commandments, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there to where I choose to have my name dwell. I will redeem my servants. I will gather them. There is hope in amongst that. God predicts that actually people will go away. But because of the covenant that God made with his people, as soon as his people realize that they've made a terrible mistake, he'll accept them back. Now, in the Bible, the relationship between God and his people is spoken of like a marriage. Uh, Now, if my marriage was anything like the marriage between God and his people, I don't think I'd be married for very long. Um, If if every now and again I came home uh, and just said to my wife, you know, you're not looking so good at the moment in time. I, you know, I think I might fancy just uh, popping down to Mrs. Smith three doors down, you know, see, see what her cooking's like, you know. She, she seems like she's got a bit of a, a better conversation than you do at the moment in time, uh, you know. She's, she's looking a bit, bit brighter. She puts on a bit more makeup than you do, you know. I don't think my marriage would last very long. Um, and yet this is exactly what the people of Israel did to God is that they, they, they didn't trust. They didn't hold fast. They didn't hold strong. And I'm not saying it's easy to hold strong. I'm not saying it's easy. This morning, I, I was almost late for church. Uh, I had a call from Mary Terry kind of panicking. Where are you? Where are you? Uh, two minutes before church starts, I, I wander in. And it's because the inside of my car had frozen. Not just the outside. I had to defrost the inside of my car, not just the outside of the car. Um, and it, it's quite easy to see those things kind of just seep in. Um, it's hard enough to clean the dashboard, let alone de-ice the inside of your car. Um, but uh, it kind of just made me think that I was like, I haven't done anything to, to make sure that the car doesn't, doesn't freeze over. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't put a cover over it. I didn't, I didn't, there's, there's now something you get from Halford's called pre-icer, 
um, which, which stops, apparently stops it icing over at night. I don't, I don't know how, how it works, but you know. Um, but you, you can do things to prepare it so that it doesn't ice over. And I often, obviously hadn't prepared enough uh, because it iced over on the outside, but then iced over on the inside. And I think it's the same with our relationships, is actually we need to be actively involved in relationships. If I came home at the end of the day and just went into my bedroom and didn't speak to my wife, didn't speak to my kids, very soon they wouldn't want anything to do with me. Not because I've done anything actively wrong against them, but actually just by not spending time with them. My son comes running out to me every night when I come home, and he said, like, come and play with me, come and play with me. The last thing I want to do when I get home from a long day is to sit on the floor and play Paw Patrol. Sick and tired of those things. If I never see Chase again, it'll be too soon. Um, but, but he loves it, and so I want to engage with him. I want to, I want to interact with him. And, and this is what the people of Israel didn't do. They didn't have an active relationship with God, and God said, okay, fair enough. If you don't want an active relationship with me, then that's fine. But having a relationship with me comes with certain blessings. It comes with a protection. It comes with certain things. If you want to go after the God who will look after your crops and build an Asherah pole next to it, if you want to go after the God of fertility or the God of sunshine or the God of whatever, fair enough, go. But you will reap the consequences that come from that. Nehemiah realized this. He realized that this is what had happened to the people, that they hadn't held their relationship with God as central and key. And instead, they had reaped the consequences of their choices in going after the other things around. What really struck me as I was, I was reading this is uh, at the beginning of his prayer, Nehemiah says, I confess the sins that we have committed against you, that we, the people of Israel, have committed against you. Both I and my family's house have sinned. Wow. We live in a, a, an individualistic society. Truth is no longer a universally held uh, concept. Uh, our house group have been looking at this. What is truth? is, you know, can I, can I have a truth that's mine and can you have a truth that's yours? It, it's no longer, you know, it's no longer okay to just say, look, this is, this is fact uh, because there's so many different ways that you can look at things and, and so many different angles uh, that even the concept of truth and fact becomes so, uh, so shifted. Um, I don't know if you've seen like um, quiz shows these days. At the end of the quiz show, they have to put a little line at the end which says, all questions were correct at the time of production. Uh, and you're like, well, okay, that's, that just shows you that things shift, things change. Um, and uh, we can't even say that uh, something we learned on a quiz show last night is still a correct fact. Um, but there are, there are all these kind of shifts in sands. And uh, coming back to this idea of corporate responsibility is, is just something that we, we struggle with. I struggle with, you know. I, I talk a lot about my son, and I would love to be able to take on his sins. I'd love to be able to say, look, I have a relationship with Jesus. I, I, will, I will pray. I will, I will do everything I can. And then he gets to reap the benefit of it. 
But unfortunately, I know for a fact that's not the case. At some point, I know that he's going to be offered the opportunity to say whether he accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior or not. That's, a, that's an option that he has. And it will break my heart if he chooses to not accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It will absolutely break my heart. And I have no, my, my, my brother went away from faith. I have no idea how my mum and dad were so gracious, so loving, so kind. My son's three years old, and already I am dreading the day that he gets to his teen years and wants to say to me, I don't want anything to do with God. And I'm like, I, I don't want that to happen. I want to I wanna, I wanna save him and protect him from, from even having to make that choice. But I know that's a choice he has to make himself at some point. And so I'm not saying for a second that actually when we talk about corporate sin and corporate responsibility that I can take on the sins and I can make a choice that I'm responsible for the sins of anybody else. I'm responsible for my sins. But actually I think in our culture we have lost a sense of corporate responsibility when it comes to things like cultural sin. There are things that we as a culture are allowing to happen in and around our society which are having an impact. And actually, our silence, our inactivity, is as much a sin within that as if we were doing it ourselves. I um, was speaking with Nigel uh, Terry in between services, uh, and he was telling me about... Uh, um, uh, a couple that have written in one of the papers about going to see a theatre production with their, with their, their young kids. And uh, the theatre said that the uh, production was appropriate for a six-year-old. And they specifically called and said, you know, we're bringing young children. Is, are you certain it's, you know? And the theatre said, yes, it's, it's perfectly fine. Um, and actually, at the end of the theatre production, uh, the, the, the couple said it was... It was awful. It, you know, there was, there was bad language, there was inappropriate activity and actions, and it, we, if we'd known that that was what was happening, we would never have taken them to have seen that. My mum took my niece and nephew to see the new uh, Matilda uh, um, uh, movie uh, over Christmas, uh, and again, she came out and she said she was just horrified uh, I think my, my niece, Aurora, has had nightmares for the last three weeks because of what she saw uh, from something that should have been appropriate for her age, but my understanding is has now been the, the activity of the chokey and, and trench ball has really been lifted up to a next level. And so I look at things like some of the things that actually we allow our children to watch. I think of like the A-team. Uh, nobody ever died. You could crash your helicopter into the side of a cliff and then jump out and you'd be perfectly fine. Not a scratch, not a graze, not even a limp. You were perfectly fine. Uh, but these days, I'm surprised that Paw Patrol doesn't have blood and guts splurted all over the screen. It, it amazes me some of the things that we allow our children to see because it's now culturally acceptable. And we have to start taking responsibility for that. We have to start saying, enough is enough. God has called us to bring transformation, to bring light, to bring hope into people's lives. 
I have sinned. I know very well that I have personal sin. I have personal failing. But I also live in a culture, and I'm so impacted by the culture around me. This week, uh, I'm an electrician for British Gas, and uh, this week I had a colleague who drove around with me in the van uh, because his van was being fixed. And uh, nice guy, uh, really, really good guy. He's been working for British Gas for a long time, knows his stuff. Um, but boy, does he moan. He, he just is a moaner. Um, and I really hate working with him. And the only reason I hate working with him is because by day two, I found myself moaning as well. Um, his, his, his constant negativity slowly chipped away at me. I mean, I'm not the most positive person in the world anyways, um, but it, it did. And so by the time it came to Wednesday and Thursday, it was just, oh man. And then I'd come home and rather than coming in and asking my wife how her day had been and, and enjoying the excitement of my son and, and playing poetry, I would just get bogged down and just share all the rants and all the, the rages of the day. And so my impact of negativity then started to impact my family. And I'm sure my wife then probably was sick and tired of me ranting and raving. And so that brought her down. So she then goes to her mom and rants and raves, or to her sister and rants and raves. My sister-in-law lives in Kenya. Before you know it, the entirety of Kenya is depressed and <laughs> looking for any depressant. But it, it, does, it happens so quickly, particularly negativity. It's so much harder to remain positive and to pass on positivity and to feed that into the culture around us. And so the challenge today, if we are spending time building a relationship with God, what are the cultural sins that we as a community, not me, not you, we as a community, need to be focusing on? What are the cultural things that have seeped in that are starting to chip away at the instructions of life that God gave us? Thou shalt not murder was a commandment given. I'm sure we all know that it's a really, really good law. I, I don't think I've murdered anybody yet. I'll uh, keep my mouth quiet if I ever do. But... Um, Jesus reinterpreted that and said, that was the law, but the root core, the root underneath that law was, don't even have any anger towards people. Now, oh man, I've not killed anybody. I was, I was spent time with my brother over New Year. Tell you what, that commandment definitely came into play. Uh, there was a few times when I murdered him in my mind. Um, and... Uh, I'm sure a few times when he murdered me in his mind. Um, a couple of board games went on the floor. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff that happens. And I, I allow it with my brother. That's fine. You know, anybody else that's a sin, anger against my brother, it's perfectly fine. And I'll, I'll argue that one with Jesus one day, I'm sure. Um, but actually, the, there is this thing of how many of us are challenging corporate anger? What are the sins that we are we're allowing in. Gossip. Oh my word. How much gossip is that? I, again, the number of conversations over the last month about three words. 
I'm going to say these three words in a minute, and all of a sudden your minds are going to be racing because it all of a sudden brings in all of the gossip that we've heard. Harry and Meghan. How much of our conversations have been spent just on those two people and the impact that actually their lives have no impact on me? It, I've never met them. I'm probably never going to meet them. And if I ever did, I'm sure they're lovely. I have no idea what the truth is. I honestly don't care what the truth is because it has no impact on me. And yet, it has seeped so much. And, and it draws... I could probably split the congregation into pro-Harry and Meghan and, and against Harry and Meghan on, on, you know, on that, that, that basis. It, it's unimportant. It does not save lives. It does not save souls. It is not going to, a conversation about those two people is not going to bring me into a closer relationship with Jesus. So why bother talking about it? So this is the challenge. What are our corporate sins? What are the sins that we have allowed to seep in? And until the people kind of start coming back, I think we've only got like a minute or two before people start coming back. I want to leave us in silence, just to think, just to pray, to say, God, start revealing to us where you want us as a body to challenge, to repent of corporate sin, of the things that we've allowed to happen, because you want to bring transformation and reconciliation.